Hey everybody, and welcome to the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast. In this episode, Alex and I talk about the uh, Wing Chun knives, the Ba Cham Dao. I'm sure right now Alex is cringing, saying, cringing, saying, oh Jesus, he screwed that up too. This is a great episode. Alex really drops the knowledge bomb on us. He uh, really gives us a nice way of looking at the knives. And uh, I open my mouth once or twice, but you know, in this episode it's all about Alex. Enjoy, folks. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of... Dudes of Kung Fu. Outstanding. How are you, my friend? Good, good, good. Sounded again like you almost forgot what episode. It's like you had one job, which is to look at the number before we start the podcast. <laughs> okay, so I have two jobs. I have to hit record... <laughs> That's right. And look at the number. That's right. And Re- hitting time, record is super, super important. Super, super important. And I didn't forget which episode it was. I forgot what season we were in. I think that was still back in season one, right? That's still when we were total noobs. You know, but like I forgot what season we're in right now. Oh, you <laughs> forgot what season we're in right now, yeah. <laughs> it literally says it on my screen, season three, episode six. But I was like, <laughs> ah, I don't know where the fuck I am. So it's, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was a little worried because we had recorded the uh, Lokin Bunguan uh, podcast on time, but you didn't release it a little bit longer because your, your your son John, who helps you on the technical side, wasn't around. And I was totally afraid that you had, like, forgotten to record the episode, <laughs> which had happened one time a very long time ago. And I was like, damn it, he's afraid to tell me that he didn't record the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a that was a bad that was a bad thing I did that time. Yeah, that's okay. Well, it, it always gives me something to hang over your head whenever I need something now. So this I'm is, I have no problem with it. This is true, you know. It's we all have our thing, you know. That's right. I listened to our last podcast on the long pole, which was really great. But I have to apologize uh, to our listeners out there because my audio came out came out pretty garbled. Um, it kept cutting out a little bit, and that was because the last episode I couldn't do with my normal setup. I had to do it from my phone. And I might have forgotten to put the Wi-Fi on, so it might have been going off the mobile internet connection. That might have been why it was cutting out or whatever. So anyway, I apologize for that. If anybody wants to hear those wonderful long pole stories again, well, I'm I'm sure if you listen to the podcast long enough, I'll eventually start repeating myself. So (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's funny because like um, on my end, when we were recording it, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I didn't hear it either because I, I also can tell sometimes if there's an issue because I can also kind of hear that there's a little bit of static. So that's why I was a little surprised when I listened to it and I kept cutting out and kept coming in kind of garbled. So anyway, right. I just want to apologize for the audience to the audience for that. So uh, this week we're talking about um, the New York Jets versus – oh, wait, no, that's not it. No, no, that's um, next season. That's <laughs> when we've exhausted all of our Wing Chun topics and we go on to other sports, <laughs> which I know nothing about. <laughs> that's all right. Well, I'm going to be talking about Wing Chun knives. And I don't think about them. So <laughs> Perfect, perfect. So, yeah, this is the sixth in our series of the Wing Chun Forum. So we have come to the uh, to the final one, which is the Batsamto or the double knives of Wing Chun. So I'm sure there are a lot of people, you know how Wing Chun, like Wing Chun wannabes are. They go on YouTube and they just look at the advanced shit. So there may be a bunch of people who look at our season. They're like, I don't need to listen to the podcast on Siyunam Tao. I'm going straight to knives. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's state that right up front. If you're watching this one before the Siyunam Tao one, we think you're an asshole. <laughs> you should go back and listen to all of them in order and then in order, and right, only exactly. then 
have you earned the right to listen to the sixth podcast on the Double Knives? And we'll expect a red envelope in the mail within a day of listening to the podcast. <laughs> and hey, did we hit another milestone on our uh, downloads or whatever? Are we up like, are we getting, where are we now? Are we, we went past 20,000 downloads. We went where, past 20,000. Last time what, I looked, we're like about 20,002 now or something. <laughs> no, no, no. I think um, I'm thinking we're like 23,000 now. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I also yeah, hit a milestone. And only, and only in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, I also hit a milestone on my Facebook page uh, this past week. I passed 10,000 likes on my public Facebook page. Wow, and that's amazing because you can't come up with 10 people that actually like you in real life. So Not at all. Well, because they only like the the social media representation of me. The people who actually meet me in person think I'm a total prick. So uh, <laughs> luckily – those 10,000 some odd people have never met me in person. As I can tell, you also have not liked that page yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. When people find out that you were in that show Married with Children, does that like help or? Well, you know, what I'm really hoping for is that if there's ever a chance for me to play David Faustino, the actor who was Bud on Married with Children, that is definitely my gig right there. I'll tell you something really funny because a lot of people, you know, may by chance look like a famous person or whatever. And sometimes if you're a good looking person, they may be like, hey, you know what? I'm sure you get this all the time, Sean. I'm sure people tell you you look like Brad Pitt all the time, right? Are you hitting on me again, dude? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. My entire, like, let's say, well, not so much lately because the show's been off the air for the long time, for the longest time. But during the time they're married with children was on the air, people would come up to me like, you know what? You look like Bud from Married with Children, (laughs) (laughs) which is just kind of like, oh, man, because on that show, he didn't play the most favorable of all characters. Right. But the weirdest thing happened, like, I would get this all the time. People would say, like, you, you look like David Faustino from Married with Children, right? <laughs> about five years ago or so, I was on the subway. I got on on 34th Street, Herald Square, and David Faustino was in the subway car that I was on. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like, and he must have weird. thought it was, like, Bizarro World or something. Yeah, it was kind of weird because, like, he was sitting down. He was with this smoking hot girl like i mean you know and he's a short guy he was actually a little shorter than me and he had this like smoking hot clearly model or actress girlfriend right and he's sitting there with her right and i look at him and it was just weird because not a lot of i don't think anybody recognized him on the subway because he was dressed like a normal person and he's like a Mm -hmm. relatively unassuming guy and i looked at him and i'm just thinking in my mind i'm like holy shit it's david faustino the guy that everybody has told me that i look like and there was a moment where i was just kind of staring at him like a putz <laughs> because it was like well one i mean who didn't love married with children growing up and and i mean that was like a great show and two it's like you know you meet somebody from an iconic show and this person looks like you and he just kind of looked at me a couple times and i could tell he's kind of like what the hell is this guy staring at you know <laughs> and then i'm like telling my wife i'm like that's David Faustino. And she's like, who the hell is that? And I'm like, Bud Bundy from Married with Children. What the hell is a Married with Children? Like, so I was like, <laughs> like totally killing my moment there. You know what I mean? I'm like, my whole life people told me I look like this guy. So anyway. Maybe you we, should we explain, to, explain to these folks that don't know that your, your wife is not from uh... – Oh, no, my wife is from Hong Kong. And the funny thing is my wife does not have a very thick accent. So I just – for, for yeah, I was going to say that. She doesn't have a thick accent. Yeah, we, we, my wife is a lawyer in Hong Kong, so she speaks English quite well. Um, but, yeah, I always make the joke because, you know, most people who listen to podcasts don't know me personally. So I always like to create a kind of a fictional – uh, real world of mine behind the scenes, so people totally have the wrong impression when they meet me. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. 
So, um, so anyway, I suppose we should get to the topic at hand. Before, before we do that, before yes. we do that, I want to confirm the number. We have 23,500 downloads. Wow. So it's like three people downloading it 23,000 times out there. <laughs> we have some really rabid fans out there. Oh, absolutely. And you know what else is kind of weird? Mm. And this is like uh, we have listeners in every state of the, of, of, of the country. United yes. States, mm-hmm. except for one. I, I would assume it's somewhere north. It's actually, it is north, but it's in actual, it's in South Dakota. South Dakota. We've never had a download in South Dakota. <laughs> We've now, had downloads in Hawaii and Alaska? Not, dude. Hawaii and Alaska. We've had fucking downloads in Argentina. Sure, we have sure. We have downloads from Peru. Do you even know where that is? Do you even know where that is on the map, Sean? I happen to know very well, jerk off. I'm very good at geography. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You're from the old school where they still talk geography. Like nowadays, kids don't know where anything is. Right. I mean, we we have download. We have more downloads from Senegal than we have from South Dakota. Of course, uh, I so, think the Wing Chun scene is kind of dead there. Well, listen. I, why, it's fucking thriving in Senegal. I mean, come on. Hey, you never so, know. Wing Chun is international. South Dakota, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> or so, maybe, folks, like, maybe the only Wing Chun guys in South Dakota really hate either our voices or they're like totally against the Moyat and the Lung Ting lineage or this something. This could be. <laughs> but if we could get like one of you guys from North Dakota to move south, that would be awesome. Or just spend a night in a hotel and, just download, spend the a, and just download the episode ISP, once. Uh, yes. <laughs> Because really, it's killing me. I look at the fucking map, and there's no downloads from. You're, you're going to drive to South Dakota just to download. Just to download it one day, because it's it's just it's driving me out of my mind. Well, there you go. Well, so <laughs> at least we know, uh, kind of from demographics wise, where we're not going to be opening our next branches. This is true, right? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no dudes of kung fu South Dakota edition. <laughs> dudes of kung fu convention. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, the sixth and final form of the Yip Man Wing Chun Kung Fu system, Bat Cham Do, the famous and infamous double knives. What say you to introduce this topic, Sean, about double well, knives? Well, I bet they're sharp. Uh, <laughs> they're real sharp. <laughs> you, uh, you, know, you, you said knives. I, yes. Not that it's a real debate, mm-hmm. but um, do you tend to call them knives and not swords? Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. The word for uh, knife and sword is the same in Chinese. So um, there are people like, like for example, my own teacher Sifu Langting refers to the, refers to them as short broadswords. All right. Okay. Uh, you know, or short swords. You know, or as right. they say in Boston, swords. Swords. You know? But uh, um, but technically speaking, there's actually no. There's no difference for the Chinese word for uh, – so Chinese have kind of two two words for, I guess, sword or knife, okay? So you know those long Tai Chi swords, those straight sure. narrow ones? Um, in Cantonese, it's called a gim, or I think it's called a jian in Mandarin, like what they use in Crouching right. Tiger and Dragon. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that are rounded, like the big broadswords. Right. So anything from a big broadsword all the way to a butter knife, all right, because it also has that kind of rounded thing, is called a dou. Right, so, okay. So strictly speaking, knife or sword, if it's rounded, is actually the same character in Chinese. Oh, okay, okay. 
So it kind of semantics, potato, potato, what you use in English, but it's kind of the same, I think. I mean, that's how I take it. Does, does, does your teacher use swords over knives or something? Well, you know what? He, um, he, he said to me that he, he goes, we were just chatting about this. And he said, you know, it's funny. He goes, probably properly they should be called swords. He goes, but I call them knives. And he said more yacht referred to them as knives. Yes. So, um, I, you know, I just, because I had asked him, do you call them swords or knives? And he goes, I guess. And that was his answer. He goes, you know, probably properly it should be swords. But yeah, yeah, he goes, swords, I've always swords. called them knives. He goes, and so did Moyat, you know. Right, right. Sifu, Sifu Langting calls them short broadswords. But, like, I've also heard that him refer to it as, as knives as well. And most of the Chinese students from the Langting lineage, when they use English, they, they say knife or, or they pronounce it as closely as they can. You know the Wing Chun life. Life, life. Did you just say life? Knife? Wait, what? <laughs> so, um, but what's interesting is that a lot of Wing Chun people, particularly those who, in my opinion, now this is not always the case because certainly there are people out there who, who teach some kind of authentic version of, of Yip Man's knife form, but there are people out there who call them butterfly swords or butterfly knives. Now that is actually for me more of an issue than whether you call them swords or knives because strictly speaking, uh, the Yip Man system, as far as the Chinese are concerned, does not refer to them as butterfly knives or butterfly swords. Um, you hear that terminology in, uh, in, for example, in Hongar or in Shaolin martial arts. They call them right. Wu literally means butterfly knives. And the reason is because when you put them end on end, it's essentially the same design. So they become a double knife that kind of looks the same on both sides. Right. By the way, the original name for um, which we have in the wooden dummy techniques, you know, the double palms, mm-hmm. the older name for that, especially back to the white crane origins was butterfly palms. Oh, that's But it seems that uh, Yip Man was very fond of modernizing the names of the movements. That's why Wing Chun doesn't use a lot of like the old school names for a lot of the techniques. They use more modern um, uh, ways of describing things. So, so instead of calling them Wu Dip Cheng, butterfly palms, we call them Po Pai Cheng. Po Pai Cheng literally means to hold a sign in your hand because that's what it looks like. Oh, wow. I and, never knew that. And then, yeah, it's like you're, you're holding a sign, right? Po means to hold in your hand. Pie is a sign or a shield. So if you hold it like this, it's like that. So if you turn it into a palm, it would look that way. So, so that, but that's a very modern name. The, 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 the original name was actually Wu Dip Chang. And, and so the older version of the knives definitely could have been called Wu Dip though. But when you look at um, what Yip Man said in, the, um, in his interview with New Martial Hero and also what was published during his lifetime, he called the form, and he seemed to call the knives themselves batamto. Unfortunately, because most of those knives that you see, the ones you get in Chinatown, they're actually not proper Wing Chun knives. They are butterfly swords that you would use in Hongar or, or um, other Shaolin martial arts, and those are called butterfly swords. A lot of kind of self-taught Wing Chun people just call them butterfly knives or butterfly swords because mm. that's what everybody else does, right? Right. So, um, but it would seem that according to... The Yip Man, what's kind of more canonical in the Yip Man system, they should not be called butterfly knives or butterfly swords. They should be called double knives, and the form itself should be called batzamto, which means eight hacking or eight slashing knives. Now, I don't know why it's called that. Do you know why it's called that? I mean, I, I, you know, I know the, I don't know the form yet, but um, I know I've seen the form many times, mm-hmm. and I, I, 
I don't know how you would break it down to come up with that name. I have no idea why it would be called Ape Slashing. Sure. Well, well, here's where we're kind of on the uh, uh, the slippery slope of who you want to believe in martial arts. Now, very similar. We had a similar conversation last week about the long pole right. when, when we discussed what the meaning of six and a half points are. And everyone kind of agrees that, you know, uh, it basically means that there are seven movements or it could be seven different movements or seven types of movements. But people don't agree on the specifics. Now, when it comes to Batam, though, I think that there, there's, there's a deeper problem when we look in terms of what the meaning is. Okay, And here, here's the first problem when we look at it from a historical perspective. Before the Yip Man lineage in Wing Chun. Okay, if we look at the Wing Chun lineages from mainland China, in Fatsan, in um, you know other areas of Guangdong, there are no Wing Chun styles or schools that teach knives called Batam Dou. Hmm. There are a couple lines that teach some kind of knife form, uh, most famously the Yun Kei San style, right? And Yun Kei San was also from Fatsan, and Yun Kei San was also a contemporary of Yip Man. Right. And in the Yun Kaysan Wing Chun lineage, they do, I believe, I may be wrong, what's called Seung Tho, which literally just means double knives. And it's a short knife similar to the ones we use, and it's, it's, it's a knife form to a certain degree, uh, although the choreography is different, but somewhat similar to the hand techniques and so on and so forth. The problem is, if you try to look outside of the Yip Man line in China – in older lineages, you will not find Pachamdo to save your life. You won't find knives referred to as Pachamdo, and you won't refer to find a form called Pachamdo because it would seem that the most likely story, uh, especially with the research that's been coming out nowadays, is that Grandmaster Yitman created the Pachamdo himself. Now, if you say that, to the very traditional and conservative Wing Chun people, they will get extremely butthurt about that. How right. dare you say that he created the knife form? Because you know, Chinese martial arts are the only martial arts in the world where something is not legit unless it's been passed down through a few hands to you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, meanwhile, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, some guy will make up a choke variation in competition that works. People will be like, wait, how'd you do that? Oh, you keep your elbow up and move your leg to this position, and then you get the guy if he does it. Great, works, and they adopt it right away, and it's fantastic. But if you, through dint of your own imagination, ingenuity, your, your, your own martial arts experience, if you created your own way of using knives – and it was legit as hell from a functional perspective. In Kung Fu, it's garbage because it hasn't been passed down through a few hands. Right. Chinese Kung Fu is the only martial art that seems to be working on this principle. And I understand the importance of tradition and everything like that. Don't get me wrong. But when we look at things from a technical standpoint, why does something suck because it's not old? You know what I mean? Right. So, not, and, and, and you can notice because no one has the confidence to, to own things. Yes, yes. And and perhaps even Grandmaster Yip Man did not want to fully admit that he may have had a hand in created the knife form, knowing how traditional and conservative Chinese martial arts people are. So he may have been a sin of omission that he just kind of didn't necessarily say that that part wasn't as old as other things. <laughs> right, so, exactly. I, and the reason is this. Um, in in the lineages that predate Yip Man, so where Yip Man's line comes from, Tan Ma Sun, there does not seem to be Batamdo in the Chan Son lineage. In the Leongjian lineage, most famously, our good friend Jim Rosalando, who had been on this podcast, who is, you know, the descendant of the Pinsan Wing Chun style, which was Leongjian's village 
version of Wing Chun, they don't have the knives in it. They have the pole, but they don't have the knives. Oh, interesting. So it seems that just just looking at it tra- straight from a historical perspective, there is no Bacham Do before Yip Man. Okay? Right. There might be some knives in some different Wing Chun lineage, but there is no specific Bacham Do. So it would seem that, okay? And of course, look, this is, I'm just going on the information I heard. It might be true. It might not be true. Nobody needs to yell at me or whatever. I, what I'm doing is I'm relaying information that's based on research. Most people are not doing that. They're just saying, no, my Sifu said that Yip Man learned Bacham Do from his Sifu, just, or he learned it from right. learned Bic, just as but that, okay. That's what your Sifu said, and that's oral tradition. That does not mean it's true. And you can love your Sifu to death. It still doesn't mean the historicity of his story is true just because your Sifu's a swell guy, all right? Um, Based on what we're hearing now, it would seem that Grandmaster Yitman most likely created the Bacham Do. Now, that tells us a couple things. One, the Bacham Do in most Yitman lineages seems to be very close to a lot of the hand techniques that we also have in Wing Chun. Namely, the Buji form and some other uh, forms as well. But it takes a lot of license from Buji. Um, but we also have things like Bong Do and Kwan Do and, th- and, and things like that that are also from other forms outside of Buji. So it clearly has been highly influenced by the hand fighting techniques. Likewise, knife techniques have also gone back and influenced our hand fighting techniques as well to a certain degree. Um, second, because in my opinion, I believe that Grandmaster Yitman did in fact create the Bacham Do and that he developed it over time. I don't believe that there's a, a set of techniques that is specific, like an eight set form that is exactly this, that he taught to his most prized disciples. Mm -hmm. I think that he had developed the form over a number of years and that the form had changed. And because so few of his students learned it, although everybody and their grandmother claims that they do Yip Man Bacham Do in some form, if we're really quite honest, I don't think that Yip Man taught more than seven or eight people. I know that Wong Sun Leung said it was only four I actually have evidence that would suggest otherwise that's not based on what people said. Um, I believe about seven or eight people learned the Bacham Do from Grandmaster Yip Man, but that does not mean that they learned the same Bacham Do from the old man, for sure. And because Yip Man only taught it to so few people, you have kind of a plausible deniability. There's so few people who can compare it because there's so few people who learned it he can always say, well, that's not what I showed or whatever, because who's going to call him on it? It's not like there's a <laughs> photo series or whatever. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why there's so many varying takes on it. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, especially on this topic, I, I don't have a lot of opinions on it. I think what you're saying makes sense to me. Um, I still don't know why we're calling it, why, why, the old man would have named it Eight Slashing Knives. Sure. Oh, I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But um, what you're saying makes sense to me. Now, I can only speak from what I, you know, what I know from my Sifu. And like, even like Moyat was careful in how he worded. When people ask where he learned um, Bacham Do, he never said he learned the knives from Yip Man. He does say he was introduced to the knives by Yip Man. Right. But he doesn't say where he, that doesn't say he learned them from them. He right. learned it probably from somebody else. And, you know, um, but what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think I think people want to know the knives because it's it's like we talked about with the Jong. It's sexy to know the knives. Yeah, status and symbol. I, it's a status symbol. And um, when, like, for me, for many years, I've had to say, hey, I don't know the knives. 
Like right. I've trained with them, but I don't know the form, you know? Right. And people have a problem saying that for some reason. And right. I think that goes for the same thing with Yipman students. You know, they know they, it was out there that this knife form was out there, and they yes. have now their, their students running to them saying, Shifu, are you going to teach us the knife form? And they don't fucking know it. So they make it up. Yeah, exactly. And then to a certain degree, the knife form was a very coveted piece of Yip Man's system that very few people learned. But after Yip Man passed away, suddenly a bunch of people claimed to have known it. And then now it's like, oh, you just go on YouTube and you see everyone's knife form. And it's like, you know, I'm not 100% sure that a lot of these people are really representing what Yip Man taught with the knives because – it, it went from so few people knowing it to now everybody knows it, right? Right. And, and unfortunately, even in that Tang Sang footage that I always talk about, the 1967 footage, he still didn't shoot the knives. And I think that perhaps as a, as a Chinese Sifu, he may have been reluctant to do it, especially if he realized that he knows he's the one who created it. Mm-hmm. He may not have wanted to have a record of it because he may have felt kind of bad – for his conscience, knowing that he was teaching something that he wasn't tell- necessarily telling people that he didn't get it from somewhere else, but that he had created it. And maybe that's the reason why he didn't do it. And there are only a handful of photos of him with the knives, um, just just a couple very simple photos of him, one with Gapto from the first set, one with uh, Loktido from the seventh set, and one of him just holding the knives. And that's it. Right. You know, so, so from that, that's pretty much all we have. Um, now, to come back to the name of it, all right, like I remember um, David Peterson talked about, uh, he asked his Sifu, Wong Sanlang, why is the knife called Bacham Do? And then Wong Sanlang was quite open and saying, well, he's not really quite sure because he didn't really get a set. Def- and right. anytime I hear something like that, I always like those answers because they're honest. They're honest, they're yeah. so damn rare in Wing Chun and in martial arts and in life that somebody just says, especially somebody as qualified as Wong Sun Leung would just say, you know what? I don't know. You know what I mean? Right. And, 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 and meanwhile, I mean, he actually did legitimately learn the knives from the old man. And then he's like, but I'm not sure why it's called that way. Now, based on, so I have a unique perspective on the Batam though, for a couple reasons. Um, one, I have learned the Leung Ting version of the Batam though. Uh, which, uh, you know, according to Sifu Leung Ting and according to the kind of the lore of Leung Ting Wing Chun is essentially the la- later period Bacham Do that, that Yip Man taught in the last period of his life because that was also the period that Leung Ting learned, right? Right. So if we're talking about Yip Man changing and, and developing the form over time, then, you know, Leung Ting's claim is that he has the, the last or the last version, okay? And whether people want to believe that or agree with it, okay, that, that's just his thing, right? But I've also learned the version of Bacham Do from Sifu Chan Chi Man, who was Yip Man's early period student at the same generation mm-hmm. of Wong Sun Leung. He was a classmate of Wong Sun Leung. Now, the way I learned that, I, I, I actually know Chan Chi Man personally, and we've talked about that. But Chan Chi Man did not teach me his Bacham Do. Chen Chi Man taught my Kung Fu uncle the Bacham Do, all right? Oh, okay. So, so basically, I have a Kung Fu uncle in Hong Kong. His name is uh, Leon Tim. And Leon Tim was a student of Leung Ting since the early 70s. And in the early 2000s, Leon Tim, like me and many other people, had a falling out with Leung Ting. 
And Leon Tim was one of the high-level masters in Learn Things Association. And, and Leon Tim left Learn Things Association in the early 2000s and opened his own association, right? But Leon Tim, although he had been with Learn Ting for over 30 years, never learned the Bacham Do from Learn Ting. Because Learn Ting was kind of an odd duck. Um, Learn Ting was very covetous of his Bacham Do. On the other hand, he would only teach it to some of his really high-level guys, like Sivu Kanspech, like all the guys who were at the very top. Yeah. And then not teach it to other people who are with him for 30 years. And then teach it to like knuckleheads who, you know, were just like ass kissers or whatever. So it was like people who are like really loyal to him never learned it. And people who should never have learned it did learn it. So it was a total mess, right? So, but, but meanwhile, Leon Tim, who was one of his most successful students, never learned the Bacham Do from Leung Ting. So he left his association in Hong, in Hong Kong in the early 2000s, opened his own Wing Chun association. But of course... In Hong Kong, it's a problem. He's one of the most senior students of Leung Ting, who's now independent, but did not know the Bacham Do. Mm. So Leon Tim became good friends with Chen Chi Man. And then Chen Chi Man taught my Kung Fu uncle his version of Bacham Do. Right. So essentially, my Kung Fu uncle, uh, my Sibak Li's uh, Wing Chun is Leung Ting's Wing Chun system up to the pole and right. Chen Chi Man's knives. Now, when I left the Leung Ting system in 2011, I went to Hong Kong and I met with my Kung Fu uncle and I had him, you know, take a look at my forms and all my, you know, all other stuff. And, and he taught me the version of Bacham Do that he learned from Chan Chi Man. So as a result, I have both the Leung Ting version of Bacham Do and the Chan Chi Man version, which timeline wise, I have a, a version from the 50s and I have a version from the early 70s. So what's interesting is I, I can literally do them side by side. And what I believe that Chan Chi Man does, because Chan Chi Man told me that he learned the Bacham Do at the same time as Wong San Leung. In fact, that they learned it together privately from the old man. So, and, and you could tell when I, when I, if I perform the Chan Chi Man knives for you, Sean, you will see that it looks very similar to Wong San Leung's form. Um, and Wong San Leung had also modified his form a little bit, which he admitted openly. I think he added some other sections and things right. like that. But um, Chan Chi Man just basically taught the same way he learned back then. And then you'll see the Lan Ting version, which is a little bit different, and the feeling is a little bit different. But what's funny is it gave me perspective, because if the Chan Chi Man one represents the early version and the Lan Ting one represents the latter version, I can now put everyone's Batam Do on a spectrum. So when <sighs> I look, for example, at Ho Kam Ming or Moyet, who are both middle period students of Yitman. Mm -hmm. From what I've seen of the Hokaming knife form and what I've seen of the Moyat knife form, it looks exactly in between the Leung Ting and the Chan Chi Man one, which is exactly <laughs> where it would fit on the perspective of the, the timeline right. spectrum, which totally gives me the idea that the old man had a couple of techniques. He had a couple of concepts and ideas of how to use the knives versus different weapons. But as far as the form is concerned, the choreography wasn't necessarily like the Sunim Tao, right? If you look at Leung Sung Sunim Tao and you look at a later period Sun Sunim Tao, you'll see differences, but not so big, right? Right. But with the knives, I think there was a lot more play, but you still see the same ideas just expressed differently, right? Absolutely. So, so that's what I've been able to see. And from the Leung Ting perspective, Bacham though, it means this. The form is in eight sections. So it's an eight set form, the way, for example, the, the uh, dummy form is. And every set of the Bacham Do teaches you 
to fight against either a different type of weapon or a different angle of attack. So basically, it's almost like you have kind of eight different ways of using the knives against different types of weapons. All okay. right. And kind of how Long Ting defines it. Chan Chi Man, as far as I now mind you, if I I'm not claiming um, to be a representative of Chan Chi Man for sure. Right, he course, was not, right. I, he's actually a friend of mine, but I, I have not learned Wing Chun from him. I only learned his knife form through my Seabok who learned from him. So even if I talk about Chan Chi Man's knives, I have to preface it with this is as I learned it from my Seabok in Hong Kong who learned it from him. Right. So 100%. The version that my Seabach teaches has also been influenced by the WT way of doing it because my Seabach is a student of Leung Ting and most likely does Chan Chi Man's knife form through some kind of filter of Leung Ting Wing Chun. So that has to be understood. So I'm not, I'm not claiming to have some inerrant representation of Chan Chi Man's knife forms. But as my Seabach told me, he says, oh, Bacham Do just means it's a knife form of eight sections, eight different ways of chopping with the knives. So it's similar to the Langting one. The Langting one is a little bit more specific in terms of like we're using it against different weapons or different different angles of attack. And the Chan Chi Man was it's an eight section form. So and what I uh, what Roland Tong and Roland Tong, who I've talked about before, is also an early period student of Yip Man. I asked him about Bacham Do, and he says, uh, "Yes, the knife form has eight sections." And um, and Roland Tong told me, he says, but I only learned seven. So again, for me, that was like, it was like, a, it was like another honest breath of fresh air. Right, right. Here, a very close private student of Yip Man said, oh yeah, I only learned seven of eight. So it seems that whether early period or latter period, Bacham Do has eight sets. All right. Like, okay. because you have that in the early days and you have that in the latter days. So that is an easy explanation for why it could be called eight slashing knives, eight ways of slashing with the knife. Like every set is represents a different way of using the knife. Right. Right. And then there are other people that are like, no, there are eight different ways of cutting or whatever. And like, I don't know about that. I haven't heard anybody tell me that, but that's uh, another uh, way that's been floated out there. Right. But you know what Roland Tong told me? He says, I only learned seven sections. And then, uh, so uh, I, I might have spoken wrong. I didn't mean to say that he forgot the eighth section or he didn't learn the seventh section. He told me that Yip Man did not remember the eighth section when he was teaching him. <laughs> and for me, that was another telltale sign that Yip Man may have been creating the form himself. Like Yip Man may have had a whole bunch of ways of using the knife, but right. not really organized in a form. Right. So that's why you will see a lot of variation in the latter sets. I love this. I think this is awesome. Right. So, so it, it's really, and of course, there are people who are going to tell you, no, this is the knife form that Yip Man taught and never changed. And being that I've had, I've had the pleasure to entertain audience of people like Chan Chi Man, and I've read the writings of David Peterson. I've talked to Roland Tong. I've, I've, you know, uh, I've been with the Lung Ting organization for many years. Um, I've you know seen what what Moyad has written. I've read the compendium books and and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff, and talked to Sunny Tang. So I'm and I've seen the Hulk coming knife form. I'm like, mm, I don't think that there was a very stable set of. I, I think there were knife ideas, knife techniques, and I don't think that there was a to the letter choreographed form. I find it very very hard to believe. And if it was the case, 
a lot of people have very shitty memories. Man, that's I agree all with I you. can say. I agree with you so much. I um, it plays in it falls in line so much with a a story that my seafood told me about uh, Moyat with the knives, mm-hmm. and uh, he has this great quote. He says, uh, "My my seafood was at um, at Moyat's house on Father's Day." 1999, uh, I believe it was. 1999, he's at Moyat's house. It's Father's Day. He's celebrating Father's Day with his Sifu, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. And they're in the backyard, and they're all futzing around. And Moyat tells my Sifu he's going to teach him the secret to the knives. Mm-hmm. And this is the quote. <laughs> and now, by, by, by the way, folks, from what I know of, I know, although I never met Moyat, I hear that he would put me to shame when it comes to cursing. Uh-huh. Really? So, yeah, this uh, my Sifu swears this is the most accurate, uh, very accurate quote. Moya teaching the secret to the knives. Fuck the form. <laughs> <laughs> just stick this the quote. Fuck the form. Just stick the goddamn things in your hands and practice what you already know. Yeah. You do that and practice hard. You know the knives. Better than anyone who knows just a fucking form. Sure, absolutely. You, you want to know a form? I got a tape. On the tape is me and my seahings fucking around with the knives. There's four forms on there. Pick one. <laughs> but try not to kill yourself, otherwise who the hell's going to come visit me on Father's Day? <laughs> That's super funny. And, and hey, I tell you, I, I really that really helps to, I think, uh, bring the point home that I, I don't think that there really was a very set choreography to the forms and even when Ting told me like the this the the way in which he had learned the knives from from yip man and he also said that yip man also like when he was going through it, he was like oh and he wouldn't be sure about this part and then he would say oh but you need to do this and this and this i don't remember if you do this part first or this part second right. and and so i really think that that was just maybe the old man covering for the fact that he did not really have a set form and is a uh, interesting uh, thing. So, so let, let me just talk about the the structure of the Lengting knife form. It's eight sets. The first set of the uh, of the Lengting knife form teaches you how to fight against a spear, a spear thrust that's going straight to you. So it has the gap guando, which is the the spear clamping knives, right? And um, which you see a version of that in most of the legitimate right. knife forms of Yip Man students. You will see some version of Gap Kwan, though, of the, the, right. the spear or pole clamping, right? And in the Leung Ting system, that's set one. Set two, we have Yi Ji, though, which is the parallel knives. Looks like the character two. And this is for, um, this has the stabbing movements. This is the double movement moving forward, which is used against different types of roundup attacks and so on and so forth. The third set is the... Uh, the gando, which is like the scissors gun, right? And also as tando. And that set is specifically for fighting against swords and double knives. So right. it's like a set that's against fighting somebody else who has similar weapon to you or maybe a long broadsword. The um, the fourth set is bongdo and kwando, which is for a short, uh, like a short staff um, uh, that's coming at you or coming at you from the side or coming at you from the front. The fifth set has the mando, which goes up, which is against an overhead attack. It also has the budo in there as well. The sixth set is the yatsi, though, which, which is the, the, the ones that go straight up and down. 
And that one is against a flexible weapon from the side, like a chain or something like right, that. To catch it. So you use that to catch it and then go like that, right? Um, the uh, or actually no, sorry. The um, the yapti though is actually for a, a an, another weapon like a pole coming straight towards you, where you move it to the side and then go in. The seventh set is the one that catches the flexible weapon, and that one is the lokti though, the one that looks like it looks like a closed kwanzao. And that one is the one you know the photo of Grandmaster Yip Man where he's holding the knives one on top of the other like this. That is that is that that one there. It's also known as Lokti though. Lokti though means character six knives. It's the seventh set. And then in the Lengting system, the final set is the crossed the character ten because it looks like the Chinese ten. And that one is for fighting against the long pole. So it's like where you can, can you can kind of slide down or whatever. And that's the eighth set. So in the Lengting system, the final set of Pacham Do teaches you to fight against the last weapon you learn, which is the pole. So um, so that's kind of how it's put together in, in the Lung Ting system or whatever. So um, the Chen Chi Man version is a little bit different, but also quite similar uh, in, in terms of like the, 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 the order of the sets are a little bit different um, and some of the emphasis is a little bit different. But one of the things that is most important, at least in the Lung Ting system, as well as in the Chen Chi Man version, is footwork. And this is the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot um, by most of the talking heads. They talk about the knives and the movements and they do pacto and they kind of do it like their hand techniques or whatever. But if you think about it, if someone has a spear or has a nine foot long pole and you have two short broadswords, how do you think you're going to win that fight? You know what I mean? Do you think you're going to stand there 10 feet away and just block that thing with your knife or whatever? The guy's going to attack you with the pole. And the moment you commit your two knives to that pole, he's going to pull it back and hit you in the damn ankle and hit you in the face. So the the secret, at least in the Langting system, the real secret of Pacham Do is the footwork. Because you learn steps. So, like, for example, you can can cross that, that distance of that 10 feet with the long pole with two or, or maybe, maybe three or maybe only two steps. So I go from here to here and I go all the way and I cut you in your hands and I cut you and bypass the long pole. And this is also a deeper lesson in terms of Wing Chun fight, fighting strategy. If you're fighting a kicker or right. fighting someone who's got you, you need to close that gap and get close. And it's never more vital than when you have short weapons and your opponent has a really long weapon, right? So the saying last week, in a long pole, yet tune tone, yet tune cone, which is one inch longer, one inch stronger, <laughs> which is the funniest ancient dick joke if there ever was right, one, right? Yeah, really, because man, that's why they say the longer the long pole is, obviously the more power you can transfer, provided the thing is not so long that you can't lift it to begin with, right? But they also, like most Chinese sayings, they also have one that's the inverse. Which is um, yet tune dun yet tune him, which is one inch shorter, one inch more dangerous. Now this doesn't mean more dangerous; it means more dangerous for the person doing it, because you now have a short weapon, and the advantage of most weapons is range. But when Wing Chun is a very interesting art that has contrast, we have the longest weapon in Chinese martial arts, and save for things like little darts or little mini knives. We have the shortest swords in Chinese right. martial arts. So we, it's like we have this ridiculously long weapon, and then when we have our damn bladed weapon, it's short. <laughs> so, it's like we, so 
most styles they have a combination of long long and short and mid-range weapons like Honkid. And it's just like, no, Wing Chun has to be so not so different. We have a pole, a really long ass pole and really short knives. So <laughs> Footwork is obviously really important in the long pole as well. But let's face it, when you have a nine-foot long pole, your footwork strategy is a lot different than when you have a very short knife in your hand versus a long weapon. So the knives, at least in Leung Ting Wing Chun, teach so many different strategies for bridging the gap and, and, and going over. This is the reason why, for example, we don't need to jump over the long pole or we don't need to, to stand there and block the thing like crazy because – my goal, if you have a pole, is I'm not going to stand there and block that thing like a maniac 10 feet away. That's like, that's like you know, if you had to fight Karim Abdul-Jabbar, all right, and are you going to stand at long range with him and try to box and jab with him or try to kick him from long range? No. You are either going to try to run away and tire that guy out <laughs> and make him chase you all over the damn place. Well, clearly or- you, didn't, you didn't watch the Bruce Lee movie close <laughs> enough. Or... You're going to get so close to him that you nullify all ranges of length, right? I mean, either you're going to try to run away from him or you're going to try to go all the way in. But what you wouldn't do against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is stand there and try to box him at his range. And when I see people holding knives and somebody else has a weapon and they're standing there and they're not advancing, they're just blocking, tippity-tap, block, tippity-tap, tippity-tap, tippity-tap. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is, this, is, this is not a realistic expression of how you would actually use this weapon. If I have the knives in my hand and you have a pole in your hand, I'm going to try to, as soon as you move in and commit, ride all the way down your weapon and cut you because I want to end this fight as quickly as possible. So footwork is really the name of the game when it comes to bottom though, and that footwork can also be applied to our fist-fighting strategies. So... And um, just, just, just to get thing. just to get this out of the way, if you ever come to my house and I have my pole in my hand, fucking wait outside. Right? <laughs> wait, a, leave me alone. Give me another three minutes. <laughs> so, so you know, that, that's definitely something that it, uh, needs to uh, um, be addressed as well. Because yeah, we can talk about the knives and the shape and the hand techniques and the choreography and such, but if we're looking at concepts about how to make this thing work, if you don't include footwork you're kind of missing the point. And there's, a, there's an, another Chinese saying, which is not specific to Wing Chun. This is a, a classical Chinese wisdom about weapons fighting. And it says, if your opponent has one sword in his hand or one weapon in his hand, you need to be aware of his secondary hand. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine someone has a broadsword or somebody has even a non-Kung Fu example and a scrima stick or a Kali stick, you also need to be aware of their backup hand because as they use the front weapon, they could also use the back weapon to control pass and then come close to you, right? So the saying goes, if somebody has one weapon in their hand, beware of their backup hand. And then the right. saying continues, if your opponent has two weapons in his hand, beware of his footwork. So, oh, nice. so, so, and, 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 and we're talking about the classic example in, in the Wing Chun knives of, of two weapons, the secret, even just not going specifically to Wing Chun, but just in the ancient Chinese wisdom of weapons fighting, the secret should be in the footwork. And that's something you don't see a lot of people doing. I, I look at people showing knife stuff all the time and they're using, they're using footwork like maybe they just straight took it from the fist fighting stuff, but they're using it in the same way they do fist fighting at the wrong range. And it, it, uh, and I just go, mm, 
right. I, I, I don't really know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 while it's obviously blatantly clear that I don't have the training in the uh, Wing Chun knives that Alex does, um, I love what something he just said when you said about the, uh, the freehand, being yeah. aware of the freehand. So while I don't have a lot of training with Wing Chun knives yet, um, I do have a lot of training having a JKD background in, um, in Filipino Kali. I have a lot of stick training. And one of my favorite things to do in single stick is to hit with the live hand. What they call hitting with the live hand yep. is hitting with the hand that does not have the weapon. Right. And it just, when you said that to me, it, it like, it, it, I guess, reaffirmed to me, wow, you know, the principles are all the same. It's, it's still, you know, the idea of a truth is a truth is a truth. The right. principle is the same. It's just a different configuration. Yes. And, um, you know, when you talk about beware of the empty hand, well, in the Filipino martial arts, they always talk about you got to watch out for the live hand. The yeah, live absolutely. hand is the, the hand without the stick. Yeah. And yeah. that was literally, you know, we used to do a lot of um, sparring, stick sparring in Brooklyn when I lived in Brooklyn. And one of my favorite things to do, everybody everybody does these like caveman strikes. I know this is a podcast about the knives, but I'm going to segue a little bit to the stick. Sure. I mean, people love to do this caveman strike. We just come in, you know, the Filipino martial arts will call it an angle one, but it's just like a, just a, right. just a caveman strike. Yes. And one of my favorite things to do would be to take the stick and just like do what we call a roof block. Yes. And just run and rush in against that caveman strike and hit with the live hand. Yeah, beautiful. And it would work all the fucking time that it got to the point where I would get annoyed if someone didn't hit me with caveman strikes because I had to think <laughs> of something else to do. Right, right, right. Anyway, sorry for going off topic a little bit. No, but that's totally true. And, and also, although certainly a lot of Filipino martial arts developed independently in the Philippines on different islands and certainly their own culture of fighting uh, um, developed a lot of those things. But do you know the – and you probably notice this. Obviously, JKD people talk about this all the time. In Filipino martial arts, there are a lot of things that look strangely like Wing Chun. Have you noticed that? Like things that look like Pak Sao and Lak Sao oh, and things like yeah. that, right? And, and you want to know something very interesting. Um, obviously, part of Filipino heritage, especially a lot of traditional Fili Philippine heritage, also comes from China because they, they have some part of the Chinese race in their culture. Those Chinese are mostly Fukienese Chinese, which come from the same region that White Crane and Wing Chun were developed. Oh, interesting. So, really so, interesting. So even like the indigenous Chinese martial arts that, that – have developed in the specifically in the Philippines actually come from the same general region as Wing Chun and those other martial arts. So it is totally understandable that there's a lot of crossover and why you would, when you have a single stick, do all this stuff with your backup hands. And when you have two sticks, you would be doing a lot of angling and footwork stuff because these are hallmarks of Southern Chinese martial arts. Wow. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's actually not as unrelated as people would, would think it is. So, um, no wonder I think I'm so damn good at fucking 
Wing Chun knives. <laughs> um, and also, I guess one one last thing I want to address before we uh, move here. And again, uh, I, Sean had discussed before we did this podcast that obviously because Sean has has not had all the knife training yet in Wing Chun that I would carry this podcast a little bit more. But I've I've tried at every turn to kind of get your input as well. I don't want people to think I'm trying to talk over you or anything like that. Um, during yeah, this no, but yeah, folks, I, I actually asked Alex to cover this to actually do most of the talking tonight because I just. I'm, I have no problem admitting I don't have a lot of training in something, and I don't have a lot of training in the knives yet. You know, it's uh, it's just where I'm at with things. So w- one of the big kind of uh, controversies about the Yip Man knives is is the topic of whether we flip the knives or not. Uh-huh. And um, if you see some people who uh, represent Yip Man in some capacity or whatever, when they do the knife forms, they flip them all over the place. And um, other people swear that the knife does not flip. So then the big question is, well, obviously, if there's a right way and a wrong way, well, somebody's got to be wrong and somebody's got to be right, right? <laughs> so um, a, a couple of things I have to say about that. Um, first of all, they are also, you know, Wing Chun people always think that they're the only ones that do practical things with the weapons, that the other Kung Fu styles don't know what they're doing with weapons. I'll tell you what, a lot of other Kung Fu styles are way better at the weapons than Wing Chun people because most Wing Chun people just do chi cell, right? But my good friend, Maxifu, who's a Hong, Hong Gar master, Maxi Kong, um, he's an expert of all sorts of weapons, but not just the forms. Like he really knows how to use them, and he can break it down. In in the Lamsai Wing version of Hongkun, they have two forms that have double knives and or butterfly knives, right? One of them is a form that was borrowed from another style called Jiaoga. That form has lots of flipping in it, but the original Hongkun double knife form does not have any flipping in it because mm-hmm. they say if you really want to fight with a weapon in your hand especially if we're looking at, you know, when we talk about a flipping, everyone who knows the double knives, they have a little hook on the end. People put their thumb on there and then flip the knife back to the forearm or whatever. Looks super cool in demonstration, um, but may not be the smartest thing to do when somebody is trying to kill you, all right? All right. So, um, you know, so even traditional forms of, of Kung Fu, which most Wing Chun people think are just fancy even though they know nothing about it some of them don't even flip the knives because in practical application you would not do that and um i believe that flipping the knives is a liability if you flip the knives it's a chance you might drop it and here's the thing we're not talking about fist fighting look unless somebody's trying to kill you if you lose a fist fight you get knocked out you get a busted nose you get a busted lip and you live to tell another day about it if you lose a knife fight you die okay (laughs) so if we're talking about techniques that were originally developed for life and death weapons fighting, I find it very spurious and very uh, unlikely that they would be flipping the knives back and forth. Okay. Now there's some students of Grandmaster Yip Man, you look at their knife form and half of the thing it's flipping and twirling all over the damn place. And I would not trust my life. If somebody has a, a broadsword in their hands or even in a damn, a screamer stick or short knife or a pole, I would not trust my life to me, and think about how, I mean, you've been in fights before. How scared do you get in fights? Oh, the yeah. adrenaline is coursing through you, right? Do you think you have the fine motor skills to flip the damn knife when somebody's coming at you and trying to take your head off? No, no way. No way. All right? So if you want to flip the knives on your own just to have coordination, like, look, people flip a scream of sticks and do all those crazy abanicos and all that crazy stuff. But if they were really going to use it, I mean, you see, like, when people do the stick sparring, 
it all comes down to basics. Hit, right. pump. Nobody's flipping and doing all that nonsense in real sparring, right? Same thing with the pachamdo. Now, of course, that may be considered my opinion, but I'll tell you something very interesting. In 1971, Leung Ting was already a very famous Wing Chun instructor in Hong Kong at that time, right? And Yip Man was still alive. Now, Leung Ting was on TV, on TVB, and he was doing television demonstrations. He was on radio. He was promoting. He was already famous before the old man died in Hong Kong, right? Because he was very um, prolific in terms of, like, promoting Wing Chun. Well, a martial arts magazine called Mo Do, uh, which doesn't exist anymore. It, it's, it's actually Cantonese for Budo. Um, they wanted to do an article about the Bacham Do, and they wanted Leung Ting to, to do the article because Leung Ting was very famous. Well, one problem... Leung Ting had also not learned the Bacham Do up to that point. <laughs> but he was so famous as a Wing Chun instructor. And, and according to Leung Ting, he had learned some knife techniques from Leung Sung, his first Sifu, and, or maybe some students of Leung Sung. So he had known some knife stuff from his first instructor, but not, again, kind of like didn't know the formal form. Maybe he could do a couple poses, but couldn't really do it, right? So... He had a moment where, you know, he had learned the wooden dummy techniques and had his long pole corrected from Yip Man. And then he was kind of like um, to Yip Man. He's like, well, you know, this magazine wants to do an article on the knife techniques. But, uh, you know, maybe I haven't really learned the knife form yet or whatever. And then Yip Man, of course, was kind of like in a very similar to a story you told me before. Like, what? You haven't learned the knife form? I thought I taught you already or like I thought you had already known. And um, and and uh, he was like, no, I just learned some movements from so-and-so and blah, 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 blah. And then – but I need to write an article about Bacham Do, but I don't really know much about it. And right. he, um, that is when Yip Man gave him the theory behind the eight sets and what each of the eight sets for and this movement is this. And then Yip Man kind of showed him the different movements set by set. This movement is for this. This mm. is for a chain. This is for the knife. This is for the pole. We fight this way against this. And he basically gave him like the applications of the knife, the background behind it, but still had not taught him the form. But then right. Lang knew like Lang Ting knew this and that and whatever. And, and Lang Ting told me that Yip Man at that time was super adamant that Wing Chun does not flip the knives. He was okay. like, we do not flip the knives. If you flip the knives, you will drop them. It's totally stupid. And then he said that Yip Man told him a story. He says, triads, you know, the, the, the gangsters in Hong right. Kong, when they get into back alley fights where they use short swords or knives, he says they will actually wrap their hands with the blade in it so they don't lose the weapon. Right. So if you think about it, these are people who are going to fight life and death for the weapon, and they will even tie the weapon to their hand so that they don't lose it. Now, why would you on purpose flip it out of your grip because it looks cool when people who are actually trying to kill each other with knives would actually tie the damn knives to their hands, right? So according to Leung Ting, Yip Man was super adamant about it. So Leung Ting wrote an article for Modo Magazine, which came out. This article came out during the life of Yip Man. And in it, he talks about the concepts of the eight sections and all this stuff. And that's all the information he got from Yip Man. And it wasn't until a short while later where Legge was like, well, you showed me how to use the knives. You showed me, but you still haven't showed me the form. And shortly before Yip Man passed away, Yip Man kind of put together the knife form for him. And that's right. basically how Leung Ting learned it. And, 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 and that's how he you know, put it together. So it's very interesting 
um, that he learned the concepts and stuff like that first and then learned the form last, almost as an afterthought, which is very similar to your story. It's like the usage is a lot more important than the actual form itself. Right. And and even Siva Lengting had admitted that Yip Man was kind of like, well, this goes this way. I don't really remember this set. This set should go like this or whatever. So he had to reconstruct it based on the function. And because I really don't think that Yip Man had a very, very solid knife form. And I'll leave you with one last story, which is funny as shit. All right. There is a famous quote unquote student of Yip Man. All right. I'm not going to say who he is. I'm not even going to say his surname. Let's just say he is surnamed Chan, okay? But it's not Chan. I swear it's not Chan, all right? But Chan is a nice generic Chinese surname, right? Well, in the 80s, uh, in Fatsan, Yip Man students came to Fatsan to meet with Yip Man's original students in Fatsan. And, of course, the Hong Kong guys wanted to demonstrate the forms that they had learned from Yip Man in Hong Kong. And the Fatsan students wanted to demonstrate the way they learned it from uh, Yip Man in, in Fatsan, right? So one f- so-called famous student of Yip Man, surnamed Chan, he goes up on the mic and he says, I am going to demonstrate the Bacham Do form, which I had learned from, you know, Sifu Yip Man, and I am one of the few who did it, and I will openly demonstrate it here for the first time. No one has ever really seen this form before, right? And... um. This Sifu demonstrates the form, and this Sifu has a lot of knife flipping in his form, all right? Mm -hmm. And the whole press was there. There was like a bunch of magazines and newspapers there, and this Sifu is demonstrating his knife form, and he's flipping the knives around all over the damn place and drops the knife during the knife form. (laughs) (laughs) And and there is a famous uh, Chinese fairy tale called Siu Lei Fei which translates as Siu uh, is little, like Siu Nam Tao. Lei means is the surname Li. And it's little Li or young Li with his flying knife. Now what it means, it's, it's like a Chinese martial arts novel. They mean like how he flies in the air with his sword. Right, you know, right, and he's right, like, right. like a fantastical martial arts guy, right? But of course, this student of Yip Man drops his knife, which is also like a flying knife. Right. And the next day, the newspaper had this guy's photo on there, dropping the knife, looking like an idiot. Oh, and it That's said, awesome. the headline said, instead of uh, Young Lee, it said, now, of course, I'm saying the guy's surname is Chan, but it's not. It said, Lo Tan Fei Do, which is the old Chan and his flying knife. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, look, if you cannot even manage to if you drop your knives during the form just by mistake because you have excessive right. flipping what do you think is going to happen when we're talking about right. real life and death and when you look at a lot of the applications that people show when they flip their knives this is very precarious and and i would be like i don't know if i would trust my life to that so uh, just yet another example of why one may not want to flip their knives during the forms so. oh yeah I have nothing I want to talk about with regards to yes. the knives. I had read an article a while ago mm-hmm. um, by Gary Lamb or somebody in Gary Lamb's organization. Mm-hmm. And in it, he spoke of, and you can help me with the pronunciation here, uh, Jin Yi, G-I-N-Y-I, Jin Yi. Okay. And in it, he, he was talking about other than, 
the, the night form had many purposes, but one of the purposes was to create this uh, combative mind, mindset. Sure. And that, you know... Okay. We, oh, Jin oh, Yi. Okay, now I understand the character. Okay, now that you told me what it means, now I know the Chinese. Okay, so... And, you know, the article is talking about, oh, I should say, what I got it got from the article because, uh, again, it was quite some time ago. Um, that people over-obsess about combat, combative mindset. You know, mm-hmm. we both know guys in, like, these reality-based systems and they walk around in code orange and all these other things. Yeah, exactly. Their whole, life is, their whole life, they, they, they're more paranoid from learning right. martial arts than had they not done it at all. Right. They got to check under the bed before they bang their wives. It's amazing. <laughs> but um, the, 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 doing the knife form kind of taught you how to turn on that combative mindset when you, the second you pick up the knife. This is about killing. Yes. And I'm going to yes. train killing. And then when I'm done, I'm going to put that knife down and I'm going to go back to Alex and Sean. I'm going to go back to being the guy who I am. I'm not going to walk around in this killing mindset. And that one of the, one of the benefits, one of the main benefits of, of the knife form was the, the learning the ability, having this skill of being able to turn on this combative mindset. And if I, if I got this wrong for the uh, Gary Lamb people, I apologize. I'm literally going off a memory of reading an article from a long time ago. But this is what I took from the article. And it was this idea of turning on this mindset. And I remember at the time thinking it was freaking brilliant. Because yes. martial artists that talk about um, always being in this like ready-to-kill mindset, I don't want right. to live my life that way. No, I'm not they, saying... Yes. That's just not how I want to live my life. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like this happy-go-lucky guy who likes to laugh a lot. So I don't want to walk around, you know, figuring out how to kill everybody in the room. That's not who I am as a person. And I like the idea of when you pick up the knives, the weight of the knives, the blade of the knife, everything about the knives. The, the knife is about killing. Mm-hmm. And it teaches you, okay, I'm turning on this mindset. And I'm going to do what I have to do here. And then when I'm done working, I'm putting these knives down and the mindset gets shut off. Right. And it's a physical representation of an emotional state. Yes. And yes. it almost becomes like an anchor that teaches you how to, to do what you have to do. Sure. And, and I, I, was, I was really moved by that article. Um, it, it made, it, it made it a, a, an absolute impression on me. Now, granted... Um, I'm not saying it's not about the footwork or the angles or, or, you know, all the weapons and different things like that. Right. But for me, for where I am and from where I was when I read this article, it still resonates as true. Right. And, and, I, and I think it resonates uh, something important in, in, um, in the martial arts community because guys get really, really, really obsessed with being in this killer mindset. Right. And I, and I kind of like the idea of learning how to turn it on and off when need be being a normal human being <laughs> being a normal human being you know it's which is very rare in traditional chinese martial arts actually i'm so happy that you mentioned that because um you're right actually i did go into the very technical side of things tonight but um what you just talked about so you read in the article they called it jin yi jin means jin means battle like jin choi your battle punches right right it's the same jin character and, okay. and, and, and yi means mindset, all right? Like intention, yi, right? Um, 
and and so yeah, so like battle mindset. That's absolutely true. In learning Wing Chun, they often called it Tao Sum. Tao Sum means fighting heart. Okay. And 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 so there's something true, and perhaps it's fitting because this Pacham Do uh, six podcast also represents the last of this series. So it's kind of nice that we've talked a lot about the forms and kind of their place in the progression. And outside of all the cool stuff you learn with the knives and all that kind of stuff, the the mental aspect that you just talked about. And perhaps the perspective that we learned from the knives being essentially the final lessons you learn in Wing Chun from a formal perspective. I mean, we never stop learning, but right. I mean, what the system is trying to teach us and what that last part, the Bacham Do is kind of trying to put in there, is that in fist fighting, like I mentioned a moment ago, of course, it can be about life and death in fist fighting. Somebody breaks into your home and is trying to strangle you and, 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 and murder you with something. Of course, I'm not saying that fist fighting cannot be about life and death. But let's just say fist fighting could, could be, for the most part, the worst thing is you're going to get knocked out or your nose broken. All right? right. I know you can die from fist. I'm not saying you can't. But for the most part, especially in practice and every day, you get in a fight at the bar. Maybe the guy punches you. You get your nose broken. Fist fighting is reversible. You can, you can heal from the injuries from fist fighting. A long pole, you could get killed by a long pole for sure if somebody hits you in the throat or whacks you on the head with that thing or hits you in the eye or whatever, mm-hmm. or busts your nose and goes through your head. Um, but they could also be humane and crack your hands and you lose the weapon and you might be kind of crippled in the fingers, but you still kept your life. But there is an irreversibility once knives are involved. And the moment you draw up those knives in your hands and you're facing somebody who's trying to attack you with a weapon, and this may not happen anymore in the modern day and age, but let's think about in the Qing dynasty, the moment you draw your weapon, you know somebody's going to be dead (laughs) at the end of that. Or at least, you know, like they say, when two lions fight, one is dead and the other one is severely injured. You know what I mean? There is an irreversibility to fighting with those pacham do. And so you have to be in the right mindset. Think about it. In Wing Chun, if I send my hand forward and I run into your arm, I could feel where you're going and use my chi sao skills to still win, even if you give me heavy power. In the long pole, if I run into your weapon while my long pole goes out, I can do chi guan and move around. But you have no such thing with the knives. The moment my knives engage, the cut is already going to happen. There is no, oh, I can get out of the way with a turn and shift and tansau at the last moment because I felt your arm. It does not exist. So if you are not fully prepared essentially to die and give your life to win, you are not in the right mindset for knives. And likewise, once you put them down, you come back to being a human again. And the motto of Lengting Wing Chun in that sense is, um, he always says, Lao Ting but to sell, to sell but Lao Ting. And that motto is fight with no mercy. With mercy, don't fight. So it's like you kind of, you know that when it's on, you have to be in the right mindset to do it. All right. Otherwise, you don't do it. <laughs> and, right. and so, so, so kind of understanding that and the knife. We could say, well, with fist fighting, I could also control somebody and fight with mercy if my skill level is high enough. But with knives, that's absolutely the case. But it also lets us know if you are not fully prepared to really hurt somebody who's standing in front of you, maybe you do not have a good enough reason to fight that person. 
You know what I mean? Right, if this right, person sure. is not broke into your house and is trying to hurt you or your wife or your or whatever, I mean, if it's about the ego or somebody bumped into you, or, hey, what are you looking at or whatever, and you feel so much fear that you don't want to fight, it might be because you do not have a good enough reason to fight. When you do have a good enough reason to fight, we're often prepared to accept the consequences for that. And that is the lesson, in my opinion, the final lesson that the knives started to teach you to be ready mindset-wise to fight with everything you have and to accept the consequences or not. And at the same time, when you put it down, you go back to being you and you're not Mr. Code Orange all the time. Right, exactly you right. Know? I mean, when you, when, you, when you think about, regardless of the story is true about the Yip Man adding the knives or if they were added in a generation or two before Yip Man, when the knives were added to the system, they were already obsolete. So there had to be a reason other than right. fighting, other than a direct um, actionable movements. That had, I mean, not that these movements are not important, but that there had to be a reason other than that as well. Sure. You know, sure. When, 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 you, when you talk about um, the long pole and, and, and the knives, when they were added to Wing Chun, they were obsolete. I mean, at, at some point, a spear made the long pole obsolete. I mean, it's just it just... And gunpowder, yes. gunpowder made them all obsolete. Right. There was gunpowder around already. There yes. was the, the ability to make a gun, a firearm. So with the advent of a firearm, a 13-inch fucking knife in your hand. It's already to, an anachronism. Right. It, it, it had to serve another purpose. Right. And I think that some of, you know, some of, the pur- some of that purpose has to be on mindset. Well, like, you know, earlier you spoke about a section of the... Um, of the Bacham Dao form where you kind of have to rush in against the long pole. Right. You know, and um, I always talk about with my guys that one of the toughest things about coaching, and I know Alex knows this better than anybody with the amount of teaching he's done, is is teaching somebody to step forward when their natural instinct is telling them to step backwards. Sure, sure. You know, like when, when you take an average guy who goes to work and, you know, lives his life and when he, when someone's throwing a punch at their face their natural instinct is to cover and step back and right. in what we do in our world to solve the problem is you have to step forward and that kind of mindset i think is uh reaffirmed in the knife set it's yeah. it's it's in, and so i think at some point that the knife sets uh if i should ever learn them if the knife sets are more about the mind than people think at first. Sure. I, you know, I, again, it's if if the, if learning the knives was about learning against how to fight against a spear and 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 a chain weapon, all these other things, I I have no reason to learn. It's them. totally anachronistic. Absolutely, no, you're totally right. You know, um, so there's a reason to do this other than oh, I don't carry around an eight foot pole. I don't carry around these knives. Right. It's not sure. what it's about. Right. There's, there's bigger lessons here. Yeah. It, it, you know, you, you're totally correct. I also, th- I personally think if Grandmaster Yitman was in fact the one who added the bottom though to the system, it may have just been because all Southern styles, whether you're talking about uh, Southern Mantis or you're talking about uh, Crane or you're talking about uh, Hongkun or whatever, they all have a minimum of a uh, pole and, and short knives. That is like 
all the Southern styles, they're not considered complete unless they have those two weapons. Mm. And it may be that because Wing Chun had such a strong emphasis on the fist fighting, just to make it complete in the right, eyes sure. of the other styles, it was like, well, damn it, we need to get some knives in there. And and they may have been the reason, of course, it, we have all these other reasons for learning it, mental aspects and so on and so yeah. forth. But somebody may have put it in there pure out of vanity just because somebody said, oh, Wing Chun doesn't even have knives in it. That's not a proper Southern style, right? Um, because there's there's a, a famous, uh, another kind of famous Chinese maxim, which is uh, which is the fist is the seed, all right? The, the pole is the master or the teacher, and the knives are the mother and father. So in order to glean a complete understanding of southern martial arts you need the fist as the seed the pole is the teacher and the source is essentially the knives so pole knife and fist is the program minimum of a of a southern kung fu style according to the lore of southern martial arts northern styles are totally different they i don't know if they have a minimum this or that or whatever but southern styles seem to believe that the trifecta of fist pole sword gives you the complete education mm. of martial arts to which you could then perhaps apply it to other things outside of that trifecta. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That might be a good place to leave it. What do you think? I think so. I think this was a pretty damn fucking good podcast. I think. Well, we never know. We might listen to it and be like, God, it's boring. That one really sucked. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen with this one, brother. Who knows, man? Who knows? You never know. I think it's good too. As always want to remind you guys out there in the social media world, Follow us on Twitter. We have the Dudes of Kung Fu on Twitter. And we have the Dudes on MMA, which we will record at some point. We swear. <laughs> we promise. Um, we are also on Facebook, Dudes of Kung Fu, on the facial books. Share it. Like it. Let people know about it. Every time an episode comes out, share it on your social media profiles. Put it out there on Facebook. Let people know about it. Uh, put it on Twitter. Put it everywhere. MySpace, whatever the hell you guys use these days. Put it on there. Uh, Instagram, also a great place. Remember, if you put it on Instagram, uh, put hashtags Dudes of Kung Fu. Put at Dudes of Kung Fu. You know, uh, go ahead and let people really know about it. Um, and as always, it might not seem like much, but if you could write reviews about our podcast on iTunes and Android, that also helps people uh, to, to get more exposure to it. And um, as always, let us know if you guys have ideas for episodes or whatever. But I do need to preface this, all right? We get so many messages to the Dudes of Kung Fu page. It's unbelievable. You guys have no idea how many messages we get. You would be shocked at how many messages we get. <laughs> um, the problem is Sean and I pretty much have a format that we're going to use for about the next two seasons. So we kind of have our plan for the rest of this season and for next season. So there are people who contact us and they really want us to do something now or interview something now. And it's like, First of all, we're already booked in terms of our plan for what we're going to do and who we're going to have on for the next two seasons. So it would still be way far out anyway if we can actually entertain some of your ideas. And Sean has a life. He works. He also, he's got a regular nine-to-five job. He goes and he teaches afterward. He does guitar and he does shit. And he's also a normal human being who has a life. I teach martial arts six to nine hours a day when I'm not training, writing, or playing with my kids, all right? We sometimes cannot get to you right away, and right. that is in no way anything personal or, or anything disrespect 
uh, meant for that. You guys have to understand that. Plus, you would be shocked at how many messages we get at the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast uh, uh, site on Facebook. You would then clearly understand why we cannot (laughs) get to all of them in a timely manner. So anyway... On that, man, I had a great podcast. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. You got anything to say, Sean? Yeah, just real quick. Make sure you look for Alex in uh, Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. He's oh, that's a- right. Uh, in, in the next uh, issue, I, I think I'm going to be in there twice. I have the part two of my long pole article in there. Which I can't wait to finish reading. And also my first uh, Kung Fu Genius uh, um, column comes out because I'm a regular columnist now for Wing Chun Illustrated so it's going to be like a Sivu Alex Richter issue it'll be like I'm in the column and then I'm also like I also have an article too so I hope you guys don't get too sick of me or whatever but uh, I'll have an article in there on every uh, in every issue and as always guys please support Wing Chun Illustrated magazine uh, get the app uh, the Magster app get a subscription, um, pay for the full print version or whatever. Please support Wing Chun Illustrated. They're an awesome supporter of our podcast. They're super great. And they let me write and rant about my nonsense in there whenever I feel like it. And I definitely appreciate that. Thanks to Eric. It's the, and, be- uh, it's yeah. the best magazine on the market. It just it just Absolutely. flat out is the best magazine out on the market. It is. Yeah. So get it, guys. Wing Chun Illustrated. Uh, they're also on Facebook, Twitter. And uh, they also have a website, too, wingchunillustrated.com. And uh, yeah, so that's it. All right, folks. See you next week. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.